Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. All right, well, I want to give just a little bit of a break from that into where we're headed. So I'm going to give you a little conversation question, all right? You can talk to your neighbor about this. We are full-blown into the Christmas season, as we've stated many times. So tell your neighbor, what is your favorite Christmas tradition? All right, I'm going to give you like 30 seconds. Go. Favorite Christmas tradition. Talk amongst yourselves. All right, get them out, get them out. All right, you guys, are, you guys are talkative today. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, I need a few. I want to hear a few examples. Just shout them out at me. Favorite Christmas? Christmas movies. Decorating cookies. Onesies. Awkward. Anybody else? Anybody else? Decorating the tree. Okay. Yeah, those are all good things. The correct answer is Jesus. I don't know what's wrong with y'all. I'm looking for Jesus is my favorite Christmas tradition. You guys, we're at church today. Hey, the good news is we're starting a series today, and it's all about Jesus as the centerpiece. Jesus is the centerpiece of what we're going to be talking about. Today, my friends, we begin the epic journey together through the familiar territory of the life of Christ. We're going to be looking at the book of Luke for a number of months as we walk our way through this. We wanted to start intentionally in December so we can start with the birth of Christ. We're going to take this over the next number of months, and we're going to end around the Easter season with the, with the resurrection of Christ. It's going to be an amazing time. And here's the deal. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, and even though we're going to be spending a lot of months in it, we're not going to be able to turn over every rock in the book of Luke. If we were going to do enough sermons to really cover the book of Luke, it would probably take us at least a year or two because there's so much inside um, just this one gospel account. And, but we're going we're gonna to get into the deep streams, if you will, of, of the ways and the life of Jesus. And, and I just know it's going to be a powerful journey together. I love, I love when we can just get into the word of, of what Christ taught, right, that we find. And as you can see on the screen, there's a subtitle this, to this series called Miracles Everywhere. Everyone say Miracles Everywhere. I think I've mentioned this story before. I know I have, but I'll never forget a few years ago, I went to uh, Disney World, family vacation. We're at Disney World, and, and we got into a really crowded area, but he's trying to exit through this one small area, and it got super crowded. And, and this mom, in her terror, she was afraid for the safety of her child as this crowd was pushing in, and she cries out over the crowd. She goes, there's a child over here. And this really, like, I don't know, like jerk of a dude calls back, there's children everywhere. <laughs> And I'm like, it's, I mean, just so you know, I was not that dude, but I thought it was hilarious. And here's the thing. Disney World, I mean, there's children everywhere. That's their thing. Jesus, there's miracles everywhere. That's his thing. You know what I'm saying? And so what I'm saying is that in the life of Christ, there's more miracles than anything or any other part of the scriptures. The Bible is chalked full of miraculous stories that God continues to do. But there is no concentration of miracles like the ones we find in the Gospels. What we see in the life of Christ, especially in that three-year period of his ministry, is the highest concentration of miracles that we find in the Scriptures. And, and, and there, there's something about the reality that there are miracles everywhere. 
Look at what it says in Luke 19 as we read. I'm going to read about this because people, people were aware of it. It says, when, it says this in verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives. You guys know the place. <laughs> the whole crowd of, of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Everyone say miracles. miracles. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus said, and I love this. Mm. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Meaning, listen, someone's got to be declaring the miraculous power of God. And if they don't do it, listen, creation will. It's going to happen. I love this moment. So why did they joyfully praise God? Because they were praising him for all that they had seen Jesus do. We, today, as a church, we are declaring that God continues to do miracles. We do not want to be quiet about the things that he does. And I know that it's different than what we read about in the Bible. Jesus isn't walking around. He isn't physically himself placing hands on people and healing them. He isn't calming storms. He isn't t turning H2O into Merlot, right? <laughs> but that doesn't mean, right? That doesn't mean there are miracles everywhere. Some of us know that. Some of us feel that. <laughs> you got to get over it. I'm moving on. <laughs> and it's more than just believing in Jesus. It's like the song we sang this morning. It was the new song we sang. It's called Standing in Miracles. I just want to show you these lyrics again. It says, and, and when the world is unaware, I am aware of you. I don't have to search hard to find you. I don't have to reach far to touch you. Standing in miracles everywhere or wherever I go. I don't have to struggle to hear you. Your presence is easy to get to. Standing in miracles wherever I go. I love that. Miracles everywhere, right? And that's what Jesus meant when he said, if they keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. I mean, I think if you're like me, you want to be a person who can't stay quiet about all the miracles that God is doing. And just so I'm clear, for some of you that aren't really familiar with miracle talk, I'm, there's miracles come in all forms, don't they? They come in the miraculous wonder of God's creation that you just look at something and you stare at it in awe because of its beauty and how in the world did that came to be when you stand and look at his creation. Miracles come and the earth somehow sustaining and giving life to over 7 billion people, not to mention billions and billions of animals. The miracle of the human body, I mean, how does it even work? The miracle that each person is uniquely designed. Each person represents a special individual, distinct and different. That is Mind-blowing. Every person in history is unique. The supernatural work of forgiveness. Some of us, we don't have the power to forgive, forgive, but yet God gives us the ability to forgive. That is a miracle. The redemption of the worst of sinners. God's power to break addiction. The supernatural work to heal, to raise up new life, and to cast out the evil in people. There's miracles happening all over the place and all times. And in all forms. That's why we're always standing in miracles. You all with me today? Good. Let's get into Luke, right? 
BT dubs, the title of today's message is Unexpected. And that's certainly how the book of Luke begins, with some unexpected things. And today I wonder if there's any unexpected things that God wants to do. Luke 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He's speaking about the things of Jesus. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the very or who were the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So he's saying just that's the, peop- the people who were the original eyewitnesses told us these stories. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Luke is writing a letter. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So this is an introductory paragraph, and I want to pause for just a moment because there are a few important things I want us to know as we begin this journey into Luke. So first of all, Luke is writing the letter. And who is Luke? Well, Luke was a physician by trade, and he became a follower of Jesus, not exactly sure when. uh, But at some point, he was not one of the 12 disciples, but at some point, the good doctor followed Christ. And he is mentioned by the Apostle Paul as a fellow traveling companion and fellow missionary. Luke, I mean, Paul mentions Luke several times, 2 Timothy uh, 4, Colossians 4. Paul talks about Luke in high regard. So Luke was very much at the center of the gospel being spread in the building of the early church. And Luke wrote this account, this letter, to a man named Theophilus. But something tells me he knew that it was going to be more than just a letter to this guy. What's interesting about how he writes this letter is how he begins it. These first four sentences, these first four verses, are actually written in the original Greek in a different style than the rest of the letter. He actually writes it in an academic, classical style. It's written very very distinctly like this is an academic account of the story of Christ. And he comes out to the gates with that scholarly account, but um, you remember he's a doctor, so he understands the world of academia and he values it. But he then continues the rest of the letter writing in a different style. He changes styles in verse 5 that would be more easily understood to the common man. He begins writing in the language of the villages and the streets. And I actually love this detail quite a bit. Luke is like, listen, I want to make sure I establish this letter in, in scholarly academic language uh, because I'll be utilizing witnesses and citation, and, and I'm gonna, and I'm, but I'm going to write the rest of it so everyone else can understand it because I want everyone to know this story. I mean, this is preaching 101. We go learn a bunch, and then we tell it in ways that everybody can understand. And Luke Luke would go on to write the book of Acts in the same way. And it's important to know that Luke wants to to ground everything in in, in investigation and and in truth because he doesn't want this to be a cautionary tale of fantasy and legend, but he wants it to be an account of what actually happened. And so he says, I've carefully investigated. I've went and done interviews. I've went and done the investigative work and I've done the academic work to make sure that all of my citations are correct And I just want you to know that before I even begin. And in verse 5, he begins at the beginning of the story with Jesus. Luke chapter 1 outlines the stories of two miraculous pregnancies. John the Baptist and Jesus. Now John the Baptist is an important figure we'll talk about in a few weeks. But this first chapter is less about John the Baptist and Jesus, and it's more about their parents. The parents of John the Baptist were Zachariah and Elizabeth. And of course the parents of Jesus were Mary and the Heavenly Father. 
And some of you thought I was going to say Joseph. But Luke does something pretty cool. He waits to talk about Joseph till chapter 2. He just mentions him briefly in chapter 1. He's like, let's talk about the real parents. That's what's up, Luke. Right? Next verse, chapter 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. In other words, these people are well connected, right? Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Look at your neighbor and say, very old. Now, if your neighbor is old, say, I was talking about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Can't believe you looked at them and said that. So this couple is very old, and they've never been able to have a child, which, as you can imagine, in the ancient world, very different than today's world. We all understand that this is a common struggle that a lot of people have. But then it was a mark of more. It was a mark of shame. And it was not only a disappointment, but it was a shame in a culture that assumed something must be wrong with you and that God was not for you. So this couple who had been obedient to the Lord, they lived a life that was full of shame, dismay, disappointment. And at the end of the day, they were just too old, right? The angel of the Lord, though, verse 11, appeared to him, meaning Zechariah standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So Zachariah is at church, by the way. Believe it or not, God shows up at church. That's what happens here. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John the Baptist. Actually, he didn't say the Baptist. I want to skip down to verse 27. Same type of story, but this one's about a woman named Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. There's this one shout out. The virgin's name, virgin is an important part of the story, but the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled and confused at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Yeshua, Jesus the Christ. Now clearly, the miracle of Jesus is known as a miraculous conception of the Virgin Mary. It was impossible for Mary to become pregnant, but through the Holy Spirit it came to be, and boom, we're off. Miracles everywhere from this moment on in Jesus' life. Now, one way to interpret this fact that Mary had this pregnancy is the fact, obviously we know she's a virgin, um, and what we need to really understand when it comes to that is she had not yet come to the age to be married. She was preparing for marriage. It was almost there, but, but ultimately you could say that she was, she was very young to have a baby, right? Now look at your neighbor and say very young. Reconciliation, my friends. 
reconciliation. For those of you that spoke too old over other people, now you are very young, all right? Made me sort of wonder this week. Um, so one story, though, you, got, you, you, have, you have one couple that is too old, and in the other story you have someone that would be considered too young. And it just made me think, like, whoa, what is the perfect age? You know what I mean? Like, when's the right age in life? And so I actually thought about this for a while. And uh, I'm going to give you 10 seconds. Just tell the person again. I'm giving a lot of conversation time today. Converse, real quick to the person next to you. What's the perfect age? Tell them a number. Go. All right. Five seconds is up. I read an article this week. You guys want to know what the perfect age is? There was a survey done earlier this year, survey done earlier this year that said that 36 is the perfect age. Um, <laughs> not sure what you think about that. I read a different article that said that 50 was the perfect age. And then I read another article that said that 60 was the perfect age. And then I read another article that said that 18 was the perfect age. And then I read this article that said age is what you make it or some sort of crap like that, right? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. We all know that eight is the perfect age. <laughs> Think about it. Nothing but ignorant bliss, cartoons, and as many donuts as you want on Sunday. We all want that life. Let's be honest. So here we have two stories. One is too old. The other is too young. And we could add to Zachariah and Elizabeth that they're too disappointed. They're too full of shame. They're too over it. They're too embarrassed. They had waited too long. You could talk about Mary and say not only was she too young, but she was too common. She was too average. She was too afraid. She was too confused. She was too nobody from a nowhere town. You see, no one ever expects a miracle. We've all disqualified ourselves because we believe we are too something. I'm going to say that again, put it on the screen. No one ever expects a miracle. Because we've all disqualified ourselves because we believe we are too something. We write ourselves off as too old, meaning we think our time has passed, or we think ourselves we're too young and we put it off into the distant future, the unknown future. We believe there's something about us that is too something for God to do something great. But what if you aren't too something? What if you're just right? What if you're just right for God to move? What if you're just right for God to break through in your life? What if you're just right for God to change your life? What if you are qualified? What if the door isn't closed, but it's open? What if you don't have to wait another 10 years until the future comes, right? What if you aren't too something? What if you aren't too quiet? or too timid, or too average, or too uneducated, or too hurt, or too far gone, or you've done too much, or you've do, done too much, to, uh, too much sin? What if, what if you haven't done too much in order for God to do something good? You see, the thing about the arrival of Jesus, what it shows us is that he shows up to the unexpected. You and me are the unexpected. No one expects to be smack dab in the middle of a miracle until you are. So what if you are just right for God to move? Remember what the angel said to Zechariah. 
He was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. And what did the angel say to Mary? Mary was greatly troubled and confused at his words. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Your prayer has been heard. You have found favor with God. No one ever expects a miracle. Yet that's exactly why God sends Jesus. For a miracle to be done in your life. You can expect more. He will hear your prayer and he will pour out favor and blessing. I've heard too many people that there's that have told me a story about too much of something. They'll tell me, I missed my opportunity, I'm too old. Or they'll tell me, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not qualified yet, I haven't got enough education, I'm too uneducated. I mean, there's just always something, right? There's always some to something that stands in the way of us believing that God might do a miracle through us. So the unexpected is, is us. We don't expect it to happen to us. And yet you have a story right here at the beginning of Jesus' entrance into the world, showing up to people who thought they were too something. Psalm 8411 says, The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Let me ask you a question. What is the two something that has caused your expectations for God's movement to diminish, delay, or disappear? This is what happens, by the way. We diminish what's possible through our own disappointment, our own shame, our own misopportunity or in life, or our fear, or or perhaps a feeling of inadequacy or a lack of confidence, we, we diminish it. And some of you are going to connect with that right now, and you're like, yeah, I'd probably diminish my faith or my belief that God can do something. Or a lot of us delay expectations. We say, oh, someday I'll get serious about my faith. Or someday I'll start giving, to use an example. Someday I'll do that when I have more money or when I get older. Or I can't be a leader in the church or a leader in life. Not yet. I'll just delay that. Or at times our expectations can disappear altogether. Often we feel like we've missed the opportunity and it's actually gone. And we think it's gone. We think we've, we're too messed up. Or we've done too much and they'll never forgive me. Or God can't use someone like me. And the hope and the unexpected fades. And essentially what we do is we let our two something win. But if I remember the story, Jesus is the only one who actually wins. And the book of Luke begins with an intention to increase our expectations. Jesus has come. He's real. He's He's the one the world has been waiting on. 
And God wants to take, he always wants to take your expectations wherever they are. Let's just say your expectations are at a two or a three, and he wants to take them to a ten. He wants you to live expectant. He wants you to believe that he'll do more. So what if, and this is what I really want you to connect with, what if you are just right? Meaning, you aren't to something. You're just right. You're just right for God to move. What if this church is just right? I got to be honest. I, I have expectations that are times through the roof for God to move in this church. And I'm so excited about it. And then there's times when they crash. And I wonder if we're doing something wrong. Are we too comfortable, I ask myself. Are we too passive? Are we, are we too liberal? Are we too conservative? Are we too loud? Am I too something? Or are we too something? Have we missed something? And I just, I just know this, though. I know we aren't any of those things. I believe we're just right. We're just right for God to move. And here's what I know. As people, we are full of pain that lives right under the surface. No one else knows that pain but you. You hide it as best you can because it's just too personal. Some of us have deep levels of disappointment in us. We have deep levels of hurt in us. Unrealized dreams and hopes that have been shattered. Broken relationships and missed opportunities. And we live trying to do our best, but our best just ends up being getting through. And I just want to declare to you that God wants you to believe that he has more for you than getting through. Something has happened to so many of us that just feels like it's too much. And it's not. It's not too much. God's not done. God sees you right where you're at. God loves you right as you are. And he wants you to believe that he has more. Think about the two things that are identified in Zachariah and Mary's reaction to the angel. Zachariah was, of course, afraid, startled, and afraid. Mary was troubled and confused. The two very things that diminish, delay, and oftentimes cause our expectations to disappear. Fear and confusion. Now, confusion can be kind of thought about in, in the context of like when you're confused, you lack clarity, therefore you begin to doubt. And miracles are always a step of faith over fear and doubt. Every time. So we may be afraid, we may be confused. That's going to happen in life. But we must believe that God isn't limited by our too old, our too young, our too much shame, our too angry, our too much sin, our, our, our too much water under the bridge, too much of a past, too much, too much disappointment. He's not limited by our too much. In fact, God is not surprised by your too something. He knows all about it. He's aware of it and he wants to listen to this. He wants to answer your prayer and pour out his blessing, pour out his favor and blessing. When Mary and Zachariah, when they were at that point where there was just too much, God showed up and said, I 
hear your prayer. And I see you and I want to pour out my favor. I want to close today with just a kind of an intentional time of prayer, ministry. So yeah, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads? Please invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. I want to give you the opportunity to just reflect and respond to the, maybe what God wants to do in you this day. I believe God wants to move in you. He wants you to expect something right now. And so would you just, would you just, let's just do this. I'm just going to take a deep breath in and we're going to take a, we're just going to exhale to just say, Lord, we want to be present. Would you just breathe in with me right now? Just breathe out. What is the two something that has caused your expectations for God's movement to diminish, delay, or disappear? What is the two something? I want you to think about it right now. And what if right now you could hear this, that you are just right? And with God, it's actually not what if you are just right. It's simply you are just right. You are just right for God to move, to give more, to hear your prayer, to draw near to you, to pour out his favor. For so many of us, our two-something has felt like too much, and it's been really hard. And God wants you to, he wants you to hear today, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Someone needs to hear that today. In fact, Stephen's going to sing a song over us today in just a moment. And allow this song to be an encouragement to you that whatever is your too something, whatever feels like too much, God is encouraging today that he's got you, that you're going to be okay. Right now can be your miracle moment. Right now can be the unexpected breakthrough in your life. Father, we give you this time. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you, would you help us in life? Thank you for this story of Jesus and how he comes to us, the unexpected, and does the most with the least. enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.